Thanks for being here today. This is Kevin Conover and you're on Educate for Life uh, radio. If you're listening to radio, radio is super old school, but uh, we're also on Zoom. We're going to be on YouTube. This will be uploaded to YouTube. And we're also uh, broadcasting on places like Periscope and all over social media. So you can check it out there. We have tons of programs on our website. Um, I have interviews with people from all over the world, um, including people like Dr. James Tor. He's one of the top 50 scientists in the world, an organic synthetic chemist, and we talk about the feasibility of evolution and these sorts of things. I've also got uh, debates on there. I recently debated uh, John Gleason, the godless engineer, if you're interested in, in, in hearing that dialogue back and forth. And then we've got all kinds of um, apologists, people who are defending the Christian faith, people like uh, Greg Kokel and others. And uh, our guest today is John McRae, and uh, I'm super excited to have him on and hear a little bit about how he got started because... Um, he's kind of blowing up on YouTube and, uh, he's got a very interesting angle and perspective and, and John, I just want to thank you for being here today. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure yeah, to be. it's awesome. Very cool. Well, um, you know, people have been talking all over the place about recently, uh, Ravi Zacharias passed away and, uh, you know, that's a huge, uh, everybody's, uh, it's a huge loss to the apologetics community. He was a very unique individual. Even the way he approached apologetics was very unique and different. And um, I use a lot of his stuff. I reference him when I'm talking to my students. I'm a 12th grade apologetics teacher. And um, I wanted to get just your reaction to, you know, um, what kind of an impact Ravi had on your life and also, um, you know, your perspective on who he was as a person and, and as an apologist. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was definitely a sad loss losing Ravi because Ravi was one, he, I'd say he's one of the a few apologists, at least in my opinion, uh, this probably is an objective, but in my opinion, who uh, really made a strong conscientious effort to bring in the emotional element and uh, meet the human where they are, not just integrate part of the human, like, you know, just the intellect or just the emotions or anything like that. He integrated the full human uh, whenever he engaged with people. And because of that, um, that's something that I really tried to employ in, in what I do as well, too. So um, that's a big reason why I think Robbie was so impactful, too, because he didn't just reach the apologetist kind of, apologist, um, kind of mindset. Instead, he kind of reached a more broad appeal of reaching everybody globally and everything. So, Yeah, yeah. And I, that's actually a big part of what I want to talk to you about today, because I think you're doing the same thing in a lot of ways. Um, your apologetics isn't this intellectual, high-minded kind of discussion, you know. It's kind of the, the real basics, like, of what people are doing with. You're dealing with memes, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know any apologist who, who takes that angle, <laughs> but, it, but it's really needed. You know, when I look at it, it's like, man, this is perfect. It's exactly right. Um, can you just uh, tell us, like, where did you come up with this? Like, what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to respond specifically to memes? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I was used to do like a lot of discussions online, like a lot of debates back and forth and stuff a lot too. When I was really kind of testing out a lot of the arguments and stuff and going back and forth with atheists and stuff. And this was at the same time where, um, I had a cochlear implant surgery, I have a cochlear implant. And so I was out of work for a long time too. So I was just debating and stuff like all day, every day. And there was all these memes that people would drop. And I was like, I just like always just wanted like destroy these memes. You know what I mean? Cause there's all these problems. And so like, um, they're irritating, aren't they? You're Irritating? Oh, they're so irritating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see this this stupid picture, and then the in all caps, and you're just like, that's so dumb. It's how so does, dumb. How does that influence anybody? Yeah, <laughs> it does, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the problem with it is that these memes I realize like give this. It's not what they say as much as the emotional connotation that they have, right? 
And so because of that, like they are impactful in society. They're these one-liners and cliches and stuff that are really persuasive to like your average kind of layman who's not like hasn't thought very critically about stuff. And because it's a soundbite, they pass on really easy. And so like, I just wanted to really like um, respond to them. And then when it came time for me to uh, start my YouTube channel, I was like, huh, that might be kind of cool. I was like, maybe I'll be like the meme destroyer or something like that. Then I was like, no, what do you mean? It just like, <laughs> came. So I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm gonna do what do you mean? So. And that obviously really resonated with people because it's, it's taken off. And so, um, you know, what, what about that, um, you know, what about that do you think is really just connecting with people? I mean, it's a lot of what you just said there, but, um, like what are your, what are some of the memes that you responded to early on that really, uh, you felt like this is, this is great. This is exactly what I need to do. Do you have any in your mind that just really uh, hit you that you uh, wanted to respond to quickly? Not a particular meme in mind. Um, I think what it was was kind of the whole mindset. And so I kind of realized like a lot of the kind of classical apologetics don't really discuss these meme level type objections, right? And so like um, I have an identical twin brother who's not a believer and he would throw out a lot of these meme slogans all the time, right? And so like I, I had a bunch of like apologetic knowledge and stuff like that and philosophy and stuff like that. But the problem with it was that like it's using a different language and it's not communicating in a way where it will really resonate with um, people like my twin brother. And so because of that, I started realizing I was like, we need more people that are doing stuff like this that can reach that average person who's not even involved in these debates, but still hear these slogans and it affects their view on Christianity as well. So that's yeah. kind of how um, the kind of mindset I was in when I started going forth with a lot of these memes. Okay. So a little bit of background. I'm just curious, you know, uh, what is your background as far as um, you, you said you have an identical twin brother who's not a believer. Did you grow up in a family uh, of believers or what, what happened there? What, what's, what's your background? Yeah, no. Um, so we didn't grow up in like a church growing household or nothing like that. Um, my mom would say stuff sometimes here and there, but we never had a discussion about God, but she say something like, oh, you know, we got, a, you know, we got this money or something. Thank you, Jesus, or something like that. Right. And that was like basically the extent of it. But it was honestly like hardly ever. We never had a discussion on it, but my mom would say stuff like that here and there. Um, but she wasn't really like, you know what I mean? Like really into yeah. it or anything like that. We didn't go to church or anything like that. Um, and so when I was 15, my aunt actually brought us to church um, for the first time. First time I was introduced to Christianity. And it was a really, um, uh, I don't want to put a too strong label on it, but it was kind of cult-like um, where they thought, they said, like, if we left the church, we'd be cursed and all this kind of oh, stuff wow. like that. So, yeah, so it was a bizarre church, like a lot. It was super charismatic, too, in a way where it was kind like of, super cult-like almost. That sounds yeah, like. it really was. Yeah. yeah. And so it left like a weird kind of, you know, we're just like, well, what is this? And me and my brother both kind of like went kind of agnostic after that, you know. And so um, I was just really honestly all over the place, kind of like some days I was like, I know there's got to be a God out there. And other days I was like we're definitely all alone in this big, vast universe, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really based off of how I felt at times if I believed in God or not. And then um, I accidentally <laughs> enrolled in a philosophy of religion class. I didn't know what philosophy was, um, but the world religion class was all filled up. So I enrolled in a philosophy of religion class. and I was like, I guess I'll try it. If I don't like it, I'll just drop out. And I was like, my mind was like blown away at like that you can actually like think these things through and come to these logical decisions without mm. having to just assume them or something like that. It's the first time yeah. I've ever, like, heard of that. And so um, the Kalam was the one that really got me to actually believe in God. Um, and it just stuck with me. I remember sitting one day after studying the Kalam and I was like, I believe in God now, 
you know? And then, so like after that, I debated the, the um, that argument for years and stuff like that online. And I still find it convincing today. Yeah, um, absolutely. But that was the beginning of it for me. So, um, you know, break that down for our listeners because I know what the Kalam is and uh, I was just using this in a debate with the atheist here, but, but um, you yeah, break that down for those who don't know what the column uh, cosmological argument is. Yeah, no problem. Um, so it's basically, um, so you have the premises is an argument that's stacked where it says everything that begins to exist has a cause. The second premise is the universe began to exist. And the conclusion is therefore the universe has a cause. And then so when you look at the, all of them together and you evaluate what kind of cause could have caused the universe, it would be something that is descriptive uh, that by necessity, you'd have to describe it as something that's like God. Because um, if the universe began to exist, and by universe, it's all of time, all of space, and all of matter, if that had an absolute beginning, whatever caused it would have to be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. And then there's arguments for why it has to be personal and that sort of thing too. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. So Yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, this is a quote from you, you put here, um, I was reading an article you wrote, you said, the worst objections to Christianity are the best objections to Christianity. You said, you said this is why I say this in a weird way. Can you explain that quote? What do you mean by that? Yeah, the, um, yeah, actually, that's been a while since I've wrote that article, I'm assuming, because I barely remember it. Oh. <laughs> but here's what I'm, I'm sure I meant by it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny. Yeah, so the reason why is that these arguments that are really powerful, they're not academically rigorous or philosophically rigorous. Um, I'm talking about from the atheist side, um, the atheist objections. Um, they're not strong logically, but they're strong emotionally and rhetorically. And so because of that, that's why they're the best, because they're the best in the sense where they're the most impactful. Um, but they're the worst in the sense when it comes to something that any philosopher would take serious or use or anything like that. And so yeah. that's why it's like you can focus on this stuff and you can respond to these objections philosophically and intellectually. But um, people are usually kind of more connected to the emotional aspect of the objections. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people that are listening, right, they're, um, that listen to my program and that I'm talking to, a lot of times what they're dealing with is, okay, how do I reach my relatives? How do I reach my family? How do I reach my friends on my, my uh, football team or whatever it might be? These are the kinds of things. I teach 12th grade students apologetics and all day long, they're on TikTok, they're on Snapchat, Instagram, uh, they're watching YouTube. This is what they do all day long. And so I think what you're doing is ultra relevant to their lives because they're not, by and large, unless I make them, right, for a grade, they're not digging deep on the intellectual arguments. What they're looking at is exactly what you're saying is these short, uh, quick statements uh, about reality that may or may not be valid, but a lot of them, they wouldn't know, right? But yes, they right. just, like you said, they think, um, does that make sense to me on, on its surface? And they just go with it. And it kind of just sits in their heart and it just builds over time, you know? Yeah. So um, I guess my question to you, for, you know, to address those who are listening is, you know, wh what does this mean for us now that we live in this pop culture where everything's like these quick sound bites? Right. Um, what does that mean for me as a Christian? Uh, how would you go about telling my students, my 12th grade students who want to reach their friends and everything, um, how does this perspective change their approach to, to reaching them? What, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say that um, I think the, the church, 
or at least as we do our evangelism, we need to be staying current with the mindset that is in the cultures because um, we want Christianity to make sense to people both objectively and subjectively, right? Um, so when we're just arguing from like an objective standpoint, in a postmodern culture, that's not enough because, you know, and by objective, I mean independent of human psychology, right? Um, but that's not enough because people are saying like, okay, yeah, there's no objective meaning for my life, but I create my own meaning. That's all that matters. Because in a postmodern culture, you are, um, you know, the arbiter of truth and of all things, basically. Everybody has their own uh, religion and God and thought or whatever, right? And so we're kind of back to that time, like kind of like in, in the Rome church, right? I mean, in the early, uh, in early Rome. And so um, we have to be able to understand where they're coming from so we can answer questions that they're actually asking. Um, so I think that is like the kind of critical thing is we want to reach them with uh, the mind, the emotions, and in community and stuff as well so they can work out these intellectual and emotional objections. Because overnight, it's really tough. That's where we have to be able to build these relationships with people, disciple, and continue to engage with people over and over. Um, so kind of to your question where you say, um, what do we do kind of in this soundbite culture? Um, I think one way we do it is what I attempt to do in the videos is to counter that, that um, rhetoric that sounds intuitive to them because it makes sense to them how they're wired. And I try to counter that with something that's equally intuitive. Um, and then that way they're going to be more open to hear what the objective truth is behind the matter. Can you give us an example of a, of a meme that you're, you're, you're saying, okay, this is an emotional argument. You know, it, it, it goes around, it spreads around, it's not legitimate ultimately, or you can refute it, but it does have an impact. Do you have any um, offhand that you could share with us as an example of what you're, what you're talking about and what you're dealing with? Yeah, I guess um, if you think about some claim like um, um, all religions are, you know, are all religious views are wrong, right? Something like that. Any religious view is wrong or all religious views are true, you know? Because um, I think when um, people lose faith, they're going to go along one of those roads, right? All religions are true, all are, are true or false. And so I think when it comes to something like that, right, um, intuitively, it sounds right if you're saying like, okay, well, if this religion's false, then all religions are false. But like, the thing that's kind of like wrong about this statement, the usual assumption behind it is that like, atheism isn't a way of looking at the world, right? Um, they present it as just like a lack of belief, typically online, but it's still a way to see the world and understand the world and how things go in. So like, if I say, um, um, don't tell me, um, you know, that your view is right and my view, or, you know, you can't say that your view is, is um, right and my belief is wrong, but they're doing the same thing. They're saying that your belief is wrong and their belief is right, but they don't see it. You know, there's a lot of those kind of um, in self um, inferentially incoherent statements that a lot of times people latch onto because they don't think them through. Most of the statements can apply to themselves, but they just don't think them through enough to see. Hope yeah, that makes sense. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you've emphasized emotion and logic, the, the necessity of emotion, um, which I've always thought about this too. I've thought about this a lot because I've noticed that um, a lot of times my students, although the intellectual arguments do impact them and they, they are powerful and they're, they're needed, a lot of times what they're dealing with is an emotional situation there, right? They're dealing with sure. their emotions, what's going on emotionally. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, it struck me, C.S. Lewis and Ravi Zacharias both con consistently used stories and emotion in order to make their case. Um, so, you know, you're refuting these memes. Do you, do you ever make Christian memes also? 
um, that that uh, are kind of uh, responding to that, like emotional memes. I thought of making a meme, for example, Darwin used to be, Darwin was a racist, right? Yeah. And I thought of making, you know, putting a, a meme up of Darwin and then it says, I'm a racist or something like that. Right, right. right. You know, because uh, it's pure emotion, right? Right. And it's not logically valid to say, his views on evolution are wrong because he was a racist, That's right. but it sure, it sure would affect a lot of people. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. See, and this is where I think wisdom really kicks in. And by the way, I haven't created any memes, um, but I mean, I try to kind of do something similar with the videos, you know, but yeah. I, you know, I would if I, you know, wanted to. But um, <laughs> the thing about these um, things a lot of the time, Sue, um, actually, I just lost my train of thought. Where were we Oh, that's at? right. So, so I was asking specifically, um, you know, um, the emotional impact and, you know, how memes basically, um, Dar I was talking about the Darwin meme there, oh, yeah. but, and, sure. and not using that, you, you said you don't make memes, but you do that's respond right. with videos that are responding right. to those memes. Yeah. What I, well, and that's what I was going to say is that, um, a lot of these times you do want to make people care. Right. And so this is kind of one of the approach when you kind of disrupt people with a meme, you make them care and make them start thinking about it a little bit more. And we see Jesus doing stuff like this in the New Testament for a lot of the questions he asked and stuff like this, right? He gets to that kind of point of um, where their assumption is and um, where their identity comes from, those sorts of things. So like um, when we, if we just respond to a lot of these atheist memes that have this strong rhetoric, plainly logically, a lot of the times that's not going to make them care because they, they don't care about history or philosophy or anything like that. But if you do use like these type of memes, like how you're saying, um, you know, say that they're really invested in the believing that Darwinism provides an ethical system, you know, for the world or something like that, then a meme like that would be more powerful because then they're going to say, wait, you know, he was, um, if he was racist, what does that mean for my, my ethical system? You know, my standards, that sort of thing. Then they're going to start thinking about it more. So that's how those type of things work. And I think those same type of things affect Christians, um, a lot as well too. So. So in what way, what do you mean by that? It affects Christians yeah. a lot too. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if you saw, but the singer of Hawk, um, Hawk Nelson, I believe, um, oh. Yeah, do you know that band? I know the band, band, yeah. Okay, yeah, a Christian punk band. Um, he actually just came out as an atheist yesterday on his Instagram. Oh my gosh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, and it was the same as the Marty Sampson and a lot of, it's the flow in their Instagram posts are almost identical. Like they start saying the same sorts of things, they end the same kind of way. They talk about the problems that they had with Christianity, how it was a slow process. And over and over in this, you see the same sorts of things. They have these memes. And when I say memes here, I kind of mean these slogans that they get from these memes that they will use. You know what I mean? Like, well, why does all good God allow evil? You know what I mean? Or, well, the Bible is written all these hundreds of times and all these kinds of things like that. They always will start using because they're the sound bites um, that they attach to and they plant these seeds of doubt in their mind. But um, if they took the time to actually investigate these things, they'd see that it's not, you know, it's not valid most of the time, you know. But yeah. that's the thing, though. It affects them emotionally. And if they're not willing to do the research and the work, you know, um, or if it's the emotional problems that they have or something is stronger than the intellectual side, then it can actually be damaging to their faith. And so that's what I mean when I talk about how it does affect some Christians or something like that, is that these memes can spark doubt. And so that's why I try to work so hard at countering these common slogans and that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, here's another quote from an article uh, that you read. And if you're, if you're just popping in here, um, my guest today is John McRae. What do you mean? You can check him out on YouTube. Uh, he, he's got a fantastic, uh, around 200 videos um, that you can check out responding to popular memes. And I'm talking about dealing with everything you can imagine. Um, 
I, I saw one of the memes you addressed. I, I think it was um, in your one minute reviews. It had to do with Adam and Eve. And the, the, the meme specifically said Adam and Eve had three kids and then um, populated the world uh, yeah. or something like that. And, and basically it's a total fallacy. Um, but if people don't take the time to go and look it up, um, basically they'll think, oh yeah, they had, they had uh, um, Cain, Abel, and Seth. And how, how are they able to make everybody else, right? right? And so if a person just walks away, they have a, a seed of doubt planted in their heart or their mind and they move on. But you address that, yeah. which is actually a, a quick, very quick um, response to that. Um, but what was the response you wrote to that one? Yeah, it was, I, I can't remember the exact uh, verse now in my mind word for word, but the next verse, it said um, uh, something to effect and then they went... Um, and have more, what was, I think something like that, have more children or something like that. That was a couple yeah, of Yeah, many more sons that. and daughters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so, <laughs> yeah. So, so a, yep. go ahead. Oh yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, if people just see the meme and they just take it, you know, they're like, oh, this must be true because it's a meme. And then they don't go to actually look the verse up. Don't read the next verse. Then it looks persuasive. So. Yeah. And it's crazy because, um, it seems that there's just this barrage of these, short, quick clips that are just tearing people down. And because people don't want to take the time to go look into it, it just, it's just a slow erosion. But um, that's what you're, you're dealing with. Uh, um, This is a quote I got off an article you read here. It says here, um, perhaps many years ago when the cultural authority could have been said to be academia, logic, and fact, logical arguments may have carried a lot more weight concerning the growth of atheism. But gone are those days, cultural interest is by and large much more directed towards personal emotions and experience. That's right. Um, so are we able to respond to this through memes, through our own short, quick uh, clips, or do we need to come up with these you know, heavy intellectual arguments to counter this? Is this a, a battle of memes, or is it, we've got to deal with the heavy intellectual arguments and they get to keep using memes, right? Sometimes I feel yeah. like I titled the title of the show, Do Atheists Own the Internet? Because sometimes I feel like um, it's just this wave of yeah. misinformation. Absolutely, no, and that's a great question. Um, in my mind, it works something like this. <laughs> um, so you have like, um, say you have an emotional appeal, like um, the Bible promotes um, whatever, um, genocide or something like that, right? Um, and then you, um, we, and then it sounds rhetorically powerful. You respond to it powerfully, emotionally, as well as intellectually, um, as well as, um, um, I guess just, um, I guess we'll just stick with those two <laughs> intellectually and emotionally. Right. Um, so now you neutralize the emotional aspect and then you have superior intellect because you have the truth, right? If you have the truth, then that's going to trump it in that aspect. But you have to create this kind of cognitive dissonance within people so that way they can start to care. Then they're going to be open to truth when they find out that they've been wrong. So you, I think it's just as critical to counter. Um, I think you need both, in other words. You have to counter the emotion, and you also have to provide a greater um, intellectual response to what it is. Gotcha. And I mean, that's a popular question, the one you just brought up right there. That's a huge one. Uh, yeah. The Bible promotes genocide. Look at, uh, don't spare, you know, w- women or children right. uh, yeah. in the scriptures. Um, I mean, is it even possible to give a, a quick uh, response yeah. to that? Or is that something that somebody just has to be willing to take the time to, you know, investigate? 
Yeah, no, because um, I, I wrestle with stuff like that a lot. I mean, you hear these slogans. And the problem is, too, is like sometimes um, people will hear these slogans and then they're like, okay, let's hear your response. And then you start explaining a given context because there's all kinds of missed assumptions you have to correct in order for them to understand it. And then they, it, to them, they're just like, oh, well, you just sound like you're just making a big excuse or a word salad or something like that. Yeah. But the problem, yeah, and that's what the problem is, is because you have to um, – it for in order for communication to work with people, you have to have a shared understanding of the assumptions prior in order for the um, for the conclusion to make sense. And because we lack so much of a common foundation in today's culture, because of the sound bites, if it's only emotion that gets them there, it's going to take a lot more steps. It seems like to clear out those misconceptions so that the answer can make a lot more sense. So that is a challenge. Um, but I try to like um, a lot of times if I'm working on a question like that for video. I try to just sit down and try to think like, how can I make this short and persuasive? You know what I mean? And that's what I'll keep thinking is like, do I need words? What's the fastest kind of way I can get there? You know, try to trim the fat, get there as fast as I can. And then that it's going to be persuasive and it can counter that initial shock of the statement. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so uh, if you're listening, my guest today is John McRae. And um, he is with What Do You Meme? That's his, his own uh, YouTube show and program. You can support him also on, um, how can people support you uh, if they want to, John? Yeah, um, prayer and then uh, Patreon. And, Patreon, um, yeah. Yeah, subscribe star. Okay, oh, yeah. awesome. And um, I'm Kevin Conover. Uh, if you haven't tuned in before, my ministry is educateforlife.org. And I have a whole on, online curriculum that you can check out. It's 40 online videos that are meant to be comprehensive and, and, um, and uh, basically systematic in order to help you establish a firm foundation, covering all the, the kind of issues. A lot of what, what John is dealing with um, is also what I'm dealing with. Mine is a, a lot more in depth in the sense that um, I'm, I have, it'll take longer for you to watch them. <laughs> His are quick and to the point, uh, which is awesome. So um, this scripture, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, and I love what you referenced, John. You said uh, that, you know, Jesus is using emotion. He's using um, intellect. And he uses a lot of stories. Uh, like one of the ones that came to my mind when I was thinking about what you're doing is he tells the story of the, of the prodigal son um, in Luke chapter 15. And it's a very emotional story, right? And yeah. he's showing God's love for a, a, a kid and how the kid goes off and, and everything. It's a long story. And it reminds me of Ravi Zacharias or, or Ravi Zacharias reminds me of that. And, and C.S. Lewis, the same thing, just, just stories after story after story. I mean, all the whole Narnia series is a giant story, right? About God's love. And so um, I think that's awesome uh, that you're doing that too, but you're doing it more concise and short. Um, so a little bit more background about you and, and everything and what's going on. Um, so with your, your brother, he's an atheist. He went in a total different direction. Right. Um, why did he go off in that direction and you're going off in this direction? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, honestly, like as crazy as it sounds, that philosophy of religion class really changed me. Now, I realize like he processes a little different. We're like opposites in a lot of ways, right? Um, and like I, I like to read a lot. He, I think he says he's never read a book like in his life, right? Oh, wow. So he doesn't like the, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like a lot of that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's kind of like, um, we don't talk about it a ton because, you know, there's, you know, with brothers and stuff, there's a lot more tension and we've had the conversation and stuff early on yeah. a lot more. Um, but 
as we have conversations more and uh, more lately, they've, they're getting better. You know, um, there's actually a conversation I had with them on my channel. Um, it's called uh, something like, um, looks like this is it. Sorry guys or something. Because I really, I had him start out the video and he's like, yeah, guys, I don't think I believe this stuff anymore. So I'm going to close the channel and then I come in and then we have a conversation about um, Christianity and stuff. So you can hear his kind of objections there. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's kind of weird like um, that we did go such kind of opposite ways. But I, I genuinely do think, um, God willing, that he, he will come around here in time. I think um, he actually, his girlfriend um, is a Christian um, apparently oh, wow. so yeah yeah so hopefully i'm sure she'll play a role in something yeah you know? <laughs> he's, he's gonna be getting it from all angles <laughs> yeah that's right that's right yep that's so, awesome yeah. yep so who are who are some of the apologists that you really look up to that, that you really uh draw from uh yeah. today uh as far as like uh you know where you feel like man this argument these arguments really resonate with me yeah um it's hard to say because it really depends on what it is. You know, um, I can tell you like academically, um, uh, some of the arguments that I find the most compelling is like the Kalam um, or even the, um, the um, Leibniskian um, cosmological argument. Yeah. Um, the contingency argument. There you go. Um, also, um, the arguments from consciousness, um, all those kind of origin arguments I find more persuasive. Um, but when it comes to kind of like the way I think, I think, um, the one person I think that kind of where I read his stuff and I was like, okay, this makes more sense for where we are today was Tim Keller. Um, his book, the reason for God uh, was impactful for me. I think in the sense where it, it, I was like, this makes more sense because he's answering these questions that people are really asking, you know what I mean? And he's a pastor in New York for a bunch of years. And so people come up to him and ask him these same sorts of questions over and over. And his approach to it didn't just seem dry and academic, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. So that was influential kind of to the way I think, I think, um, with a lot of it, that was kind of the beginning of me thinking, okay, what can I do different? You know what I mean? That sort of thing too. Um, so yeah. Um, outside of that. Do you, um, do you, and what are your favorite topics to cover? So I know, um, you, you know, I've seen you, you have some discussions uh, with different people about Islam yeah. and uh, things like that. Um, are there any particular uh, topics? Uh, do, you, do you cover things like Buddhism too, or do you mainly focus on the uh, secularist agnostic uh, perspectives? Yeah, I, I'd say that I focus the most, I'd say, on probably like the secular agnostic atheist stuff and also kind of pop culture kind of mindset too. Um, but like my favorite thing always, I mean, this goes throughout everything, is talking about the gospel. Um, yeah. I love the message of the gospel. And it's weird because I didn't fall in love with the message of the gospel so much until like, you know, the last couple of years, but um, reading the Bible more and more and stuff like this too, studying it, stuff like that. That's where I'm always trying to get people. I, I strongly think I'm like, if you're not getting them to the gospel, then you know what I mean? Um, you, you know, you're not necessarily doing it wrong, but let's get more people trying to get people all the way to the gospel, you know? So yeah. I have a lot of videos and stuff on the gospel and how it relates to our practical lives. That's great. And, uh, you know, were you surprised at, at how this took off? Were you, uh, were you expecting uh, things to go? H how long did it, how long ago did you start? Um, what do you mean? Yeah, it's uh, been two years now. I just had a, my two year mark here a little bit ago. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you're over, you're over 50,000 subscribers now. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause honestly, I didn't really think of I, when I first started the channel, I was like, that'd be crazy to have like a thousand subscribers, you know, yeah. <laughs> that'd be insane. I couldn't even imagine it really, but I kind of never really like got too bogged down on the numbers. Um, cause everything just kind of went and kind of crept, you know, and I wasn't, 
um, putting too much, I guess, stock into the numbers because I realize like even if you have a lot of subscribers, doesn't mean you're reaching people. You know what sure. I mean? So, but um, hitting the fifty thousand was like, you know, looking back, you're like, whoa. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you walked up a big hill and you're like, whoa. I guess I yeah. came further than I thought. You know? So that's great. And it, and what kind of um, fruit are you seeing? Do you get um, people contacting you saying, hey, um, you know, you really this really helped me a lot and and that sort of stuff? Yeah, con- uh, consistently, I, I think. Um, yeah, I get, I get messages and emails and comments from um, people um, like atheist agnostic Christians who are happy because their faith was saved. And um, like I just today, I just read an email from a, um, from a guy who was an atheist um, who started watching my videos, became a theist. And now he said that he's Christian. Um, he's been reading his Bible and stuff like this again. And he said he realized when I did a video talking about why atheists sound persuasive but shouldn't. Um, I can't remember exactly what I covered in that video. That's what it's called, though. Cause I, <laughs> but um, um I think I was talking about like the rhetoric and all this stuff or whatever, but he said that was true. And that was the beginning of him realizing that um, he was understanding things wrong. And then he watched my series on slavery in the Bible and realized how atheists will just take like a small portion and ignore everything else and then Mm -hmm. take it out of context and stuff. And so he said that was huge too. So he started reading his Bible again with the right mindset. And so now he says he's a Christian, you know, so, so that was really cool. So um, stuff like that is what, because uh, it does get hard, you know, working on YouTube and stuff. It's easy to get discouraged doing this kind of stuff, you know. But that kind of stuff kind of, you, you know, confirms, you know, that you, you're what you're doing. You're on the right path. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was actually going to ask you next is, you know, um, there are lots of people out there that want to make an impact for Christ. They want to do something. And we, we, because of the quarantine and everything, so much more has gone online. Right. And so there's a lot more people looking into, you know, uh, making a difference that way. Uh, for Christ, uh, what kind of advice would you give to somebody out there who wants to be an influence for the Lord? They want to make a positive impact. Um, What have been the struggles you've gone through that you would, looking back, tell you, you know, how would you advise yourself to to keep going? Because you said it's discouraging at times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's there's a few things. Um, I think, too, we, we need a lot of people, too, to be working in their communities, too. Like, before you do YouTube, we need people to be working one-on-one with people because it's not the best way to try to disciple somebody, you know what I mean? To disciple a bunch of people. You have one-on-one stuff and small groups and all that stuff. It's easier to get to the core. Um, so I'd say start there always and you'll start understanding the mindset of people a lot deeper. Um, but yeah, I think um, some advice, um, you're never going to be a millionaire, which you probably already know. <laughs> so don't think you're going to get rich quick or something like that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, YouTube doesn't pay a ton, you know? So um but, and everybody thinks YouTubers are rich. Me and Bobby Conway, one minute apologist, always joke about it because we're like, we're going to pull up to this conference and rent a car and people are going to be like, yeah, those rich YouTubers. <laughs> but anyways, um, um, yeah, I, it's hard because it takes a long time to get the ball moving. Like um, people always, like me and my wife just started a, a family vlog um, videos and we're back at, you know, we started at zero subscribers again. And I'm like, whoa, this is a long path. You know what I mean? That is going to take to get, you know, yeah. but um, I think that if you are thinking about starting a YouTube channel, like the, the this younger generation, these kids, I think are going to do way better than we can do. Cause you guys grew up in this stuff, you know, and we didn't, we just kind of adopted it, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, don't get discouraged. You're going to get flooded with atheists, no matter what you post, no matter how great it is, you're going to get flooded with atheists, calling you names, calling you dumb, saying your stuff is garbage. You're going to get it no matter what. And people usually get discouraged because you get sick of the hate. But don't let that stop you. It gets easier in time. You get more and more used to it, and it stops bothering you. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> just do it. Don't pay, don't pay attention to that stuff because usually 
they probably don't know what they're talking about if you're using talking about arguments and stuff like that. So don't get too discouraged. You know, and I guess that's another question I have for you is why is that, you know, because um, why does it seem like there's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, if I was just going off of anecdotal experience, it feels like 75% of the people, you yeah. know, are atheists because yeah. you post something and it's just all this uh, anger and hate. And mm-hmm. so it's like, hey, can we just have an, a conversation without right. you like belittling me? I mean, <laughs> let's just have an honest discussion. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I honestly think it's a product of where we are in culture today, too. And I think that the politics and everything have something to do with this. Um, I remember the polls, too, showed negatively that um, people have neg- um, more negative feelings towards Christianity after the last election, you know, um, and it's because of how they brand it. So, like, the younger generations tend to be, um, you know, uh, more liberal and more, um, you know, what they say is, like, human rights and equality and that sort of thing. And they see... Um, the conservatives is the opposite, right? And people want existential freedom, just freedom for its own sake is what the, is kind of like the mindset of kids growing up now, yeah. um, what existential freedom and Christianity seems to impose on that. So I think a lot of people have way more negative emotions because of it. You know what I mean? And I think that um, that's what works because like you have like the Westboro Baptist church, which is like super famous, for, like five people, right? Yeah. <laughs> super famous though, because um, it resonates with how other people feel like that they are made to feel. And like, for whatever reason too, like it's not, you know, I think it was um, Brett Kunkel who did, um, he was teaching a group of kids and he said, how many of you think that Christianity talks negatively towards homosexuality or Christians are bad towards homosexuals? Everybody raised their hand. And he said, how many of you know firsthand any or for our first, second or third hand um, an example of this and nobody could raise their hand, right? Because a lot of it is just this rhetoric that's passed on and these assumptions keep getting built into culture. And yeah. so people emotionally relate to it because they say, Hey, I don't want to feel bad. These people make people feel bad. So therefore they must be bad. And so that's the mindset I think that makes it where it's easier for atheism and stuff like that to pass on online. Yeah. And so, and that, and that's what we have to push back against. So, that's right. um, you are, you are approaching this from an angle of being able to push back against this. Um, I often have these discussions too, is that uh, a lot of times I feel like what I'm dealing with is just a propaganda war. It's not yeah. even, it's not even a intellectual yeah. discussion or even I want to know truth. You know, let's, let's have a, have a discussion. It's more just like this wave of propaganda that's that right. is just, uh, overwhelming people. And um, I actually feel like we're moving in a good direction right now. I feel like relatively positive. I feel like there's a lot of people like you and others who are popping up and responding to the culture in a way that people can, um, you know, they can actually take it in and it makes a difference in their lives. Um, How do you feel about the culture moving forward? Do you feel, uh, you know, we get these Pew result polls where it says, I think one, a few, uh, maybe 10 years ago, it was, uh, something like 95% of people claim to be Christian. Then it dropped to 85%. Right. Then it dropped to 75%. Yeah. Um, what What is your view on things going forward? A lot of people say that, that we're permanently heading into a postmodern direction. Do you you feel like it's it's possible to reverse that 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 tide, or is that um, a foregone conclusion? Yeah, no, um, and that's a big question. There's a lot to it, um, especially looking at the sociologists and stuff like that. Um, I, a lot of the younger people too, don't like, um, they have a problem with institutions. Um, they see it as oppressive and this sort of thing. And this just comes in a postmodern culture. And so because of that, the church is going to be shrinking no matter what, because these people have a, um, they don't understand how the church can relate to their life as an institution. And so like, that's, that's the part that's, that's tough. 
it's hard to predict these things, of course, right? But given the current data, it seems like it's going to continue to go that way. Um, I think Jay Warner Wallace said by 2050, I think if uh, current projections, um, church attendance is going to drop by 50%, you know? And so, um, but anyways, yeah, so I think that that's direction, but here's the way I look at it is like, we have to understand the problem first before we can understand the solution, right? And so if people tell me like, like sometimes in skits and stuff like this, I'll highlight the absurdity of like the atheistic worldview in a, um, some sort of way. And um, if they say, well, that seems harsh or something like that, um, then I'm thinking like we have to understand what the problem is before we can think of an adequate solution. In a culture where the, big, the objections for atheism, almost all their objections, they literally got from comedians. Literally, they got from comedians, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if that's the case, what is their epistemology or what is their way of coming to believe or accept these conclusions? It's not logic. It's, mm. you know, it's not fact. It's not hardcore evidence. And anybody that's been engaging with atheists online already knows you can give people tons of facts, tons of evidence, and they just won't care or they'll just blow it off. They'll say it's not evidence. They don't care. They don't care what um, professional historians say. They don't care what professional philosophers say. They don't care. And so because of that, we're at a different place where we have to fight the battle differently. And so um, when it comes to our future, I think that I, I do believe because God brings people up in every generation in all these different ways to be able to defend the truth. And right now, um, I think we do have like a little bit of a new wave of Christian apologists and people trying to defend the faith a little bit differently. And so with that, I think is going to be a great thing. And I think we're just going to see more polarization. But I think that God putting people in place, I think is going to um, help sustain the church. Um, but I still worry the most about people going outside of the church and only being online or something like that. I think that's that is where the church, I think, could have like an Achilles heel kind of moment where it's going to hurt the church a lot more. So I think we still need in-person and community as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We need that fellowship. We need that connection to the body of Christ. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we're almost out of time here, but I, I, I attend a church, a relatively large church down here in Southern California, um, Pastor Jeremiah, David Jeremiah. Uh, he's a, a fantastic pastor, a Shadow Mountain Community Church. And we had to go online, of course, because of the quarantine, right? You know, yeah. everybody, people are leading worship uh, just there and there's nobody, nobody in the audience and these sorts of things. And we didn't know what to expect, but um, we ended up having a ridiculous amount of people watching the sermons online. And uh, he was, he was blown away. He, he didn't expect it at all. He was, he just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, something uh, close to 90,000 people oh, wow. um, watching on a Sunday, which just... Uh, you can see he's just like, what is happening? This is right. incredible. And yeah. many, many people getting saved too, which is so uh, amazing. And yeah. so um, I just think, you know, um, what, whatever's happening, wherever things are going, um, you know, God is ready to, to work in our lives as we uh, yeah. make ourselves available and we tune in with him and, um, you know, uh, continue to look at, okay, uh, what Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 9 uh, becoming all things to all people that I might save some. Absolutely. And so, yeah. uh, I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. And so, um, I just want to say thanks a lot, man. It's, it's great to have you on our side and I'll be praying for your ministry. And, uh, and, um, I'm just blessed to know that there's people out there like you who are, uh, you know, looking at this and going, you know what, we need to approach this from a different angle because I think the emotional angle that you're going after, um, in a lot of ways is, really the, the way forward is, uh, like you said, people aren't caring about logic. They're not caring about facts. They're caring about, um, you know, do they feel a vibe coming off of you and their experience with you 
that is loving, that is appealing, that is joyful. And, uh, it's authentic too. And authentic, right. It's experiencing Christ through their interaction with us. Um, so anyway, John, thanks so much for, for doing that. And I appreciate you being uh, with us today. Hey man, no problem. Thanks for having me. And same to you, man. I appreciate all the work you're doing. That's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of fun. So we're blessed. Um, if you guys, uh, just tuned in at the end here, John McRae, uh, was my guest today and uh, you can check him out on his, um, YouTube channel. What do you mean? Just type it into uh, Google or YouTube. It, he'll pop up and there's all kinds of amazing videos on there for you to check out. Uh, if you want, um, to check out my stuff, I have a full curriculum online that's helped to uh, build a foundation for you also. It's educateforlife.org. You can check it out and uh, got everything you can imagine on there also. Uh, and uh, just how, trying to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, have a firm foundation and be able to communicate with those around you effectively and lovingly um, share the truth of the goodness of God and salvation through Christ. So thanks for being here today and uh, we're signing off. See you, John. All right. See you. Thanks for having me. Yep. You got it.